Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, June 19th, 2013, and today we're reading from the big book. You're going to find us in Chapter 3, entitled More About Alcoholism, on page 30, third paragraph down, beginning with, We Alcoholics Are Men and Women. And today's readers are Kimmy, Michelle, Sharon, and Fran. The share ID number for yesterday's meeting, Tuesday, June 18th, is 4654. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Rose to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Leah. My name is Rose. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except one to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Rose. I will now call on Margaret Kay to read the Twelve Traditions. 
Good morning, Leia. Good morning, Bishop, for you. This is Margaret Kay, recovered in South Jersey. Uh, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to a compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise as problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group wants to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, O-Readers Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, O-Readers Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works, our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 30, the third paragraph down, beginning with We Alcoholics Are Men and Women. And I will ask Kimmy to begin reading, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kimmy, a recovered compulsive overeater. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. (laughs) Ah, This paragraph just makes me laugh, actually, because, uh, you know, if only I can control all the other things in my life, the uh, 
the food back in the day was actually unknowingly the least of my problems. And uh, I just chuckled when I saw that I was going to read this paragraph because it's something that uh, I focus on a lot with sponsees as we read more about alcoholism because this paragraph alone has the word control four times. And the word control appears multiple other times in these first couple of pages. And uh, I think it's uh, Bill's way of sort of dropping a subtle hint that uh, more about alcoholism is not obviously about alcoholism at all. And this was, you know, truly the case for me, uh, especially once I put the food down, once I put the food down uh, and I thought, okay, great. You know, I knew that it wasn't about the food, but by the same token, I still thought that it was about the food and that once I had put the food down that, you know, life would somehow miraculously get better. And, uh, you know, this paragraph, it actually has a sentence. It's a full sentence that says, we know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control, period. And it, it sort of, if you take that sentence out of context, really says we don't ever recover from control in our lives. Although in this case, he might be referring to our drinking it's really so much bigger than that. But um, when it comes to the drinking part of it or the eating, in my case, that was my biggest uh, place of denial before I came into the rooms was that one day, somehow, some way, I was going to be able to get into that boxing ring with my favorite foods and I was going to win the title and I was going to be able to conquer and control the food. Yet every single time, the same outcome happened, and that was I was bloodied and defeated. And, you know, when I came into these rooms, it was my first part of surrender, um, which is really the opposite of control, which says that uh, I have absolutely no control over the ability to manage my eating. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Kimmy. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Katie from Boston. Katie, go ahead. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I just love this chapter, and I love the lines. Um, what, what struck out the most to me was the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And, um, yeah, that was, for me, that was pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization was, you know, um, thinking that I was doing well, thinking that the solution was me being thin, being on a diet, not eating, not eating, not eating, and then all of a sudden finding myself gorging on food to the point where I'm like stealing food from other people and uh, passing out with food in my mouth, waking up um, with food in my mouth, chewing it, continuing to eat, like pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. In my adult life, I've been 228 pounds and 110 pounds, and I know that that is just a symptom, but that's a pretty big symptom. Those are pretty big numbers, a lot of diversity. Um, most people don't see 110-pound variation in their, in their body weight, and that was because of eating um, past you know, the point of being able to chew 
um, and 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 yet still seeking out this control. And um, I loved um, a previous speaker speaking about like when when I got to this point in the work, um, you know, my sponsor said to me, you know, are you convinced? Like this is about being convinced about that my mind cannot fix this problem. I uh, you know I will not ever regain control. And for me, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization in abstinence in a thin body, standing up at the front of the room and saying, I don't eat no matter what no matter what I don't eat, which is a powerful slogan, I was still, I was on the fourth job with the same title, practice manager, getting called down to the boss's office and being told, Katie, we are not happy with your performance because you don't know how to relate to other people. Pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, I mean, that is pretty bad. Like job number four headed out the door because I, I, I don't know how to treat people. Because I'm trying to control everybody else, and I'm try- I'm like a hammer, and the world is my nail. And watch out, because I am going to nail you down. I have no control over my external circumstances, and yet I continue to try. And I will, you know, this says I will never ever regain control. And so at this point, you know, my sponsor said to me, "Do you understand that over any considerable period, not just you know period of eating, but any considerable period? So right now, I'm getting worse, never better." which to me means like I need to continue, like 10, 11, and 12, I need to continue uh, working, on, working on this uh, program of action a day at a time. And um, you know, I'm grateful to not be in the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization of the food, and I know that that's, that is just a bite away, and I also know the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization of untreated alcoholism is also just a moment away if I turn my back on God and if I turn my back on the solution that's offered for me in this chapter. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Hi, I'm Sheila Nashier. Sheila, go ahead. Good morning, Sheila from New York Compulsive Reader. Thank you very much. Um, that real alcoholics never, ever recover control. Control was a big thing for me. Um, um, I thought that I can at one point control alcoholism with the people in my lives and then I had to learn from step work and sponsors that I didn't cause it, can't cure it and can't control it. Um, control today I know is when my fear is up. Whenever I'm trying to control people, places and things, I'm fearful. And thank God that I can turn that over to a power of my greater being. I learned that the work that I've done never ends. I thought, you know, I've done my steps and Alan and I have done my steps with sponsors. I've done it the big book way. I've done it the OA way. Now I'm doing the OA way, and it's ever-evolving. We never graduate from the program, and I'm so grateful for now that I can put the step work that I've done, and instead of putting people, places, and things, I'm putting my food because I've never had control over it. They had control over me, and I'm grateful for God that of the recovery that I've had and the most recent conscious contact with God that he or she, depends on how I feel, has always been there and always waiting to take it over, that it's not me. I don't run the show, and I'm so grateful for that, and thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sheila. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Ms. Kim. This is Katie. Kim and Katie. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim Jay, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader for South Jersey. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control 
which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. So we're starting to chip away at that delusion. That delusion that we have control. That delusion that food and weight is our problem. Because as long as we continue to think that, we're going to continue to suffer in this untreated alcoholism. You know, I used to pray for pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I thought if I could get embarrassed enough, but I would stop. You know, I was working in a 7-Eleven in college and bent down to get something when I was at the register, and I split my pants open and had to take customers while I called my father to come and bring me another pair of pants. But that didn't stop me. I was in my early 20s, and I would walk up a flight of stairs and have to bend over to catch my breath, and people would look at me funny. But that didn't stop me. I would be at work, and someone would walk in, and they'd catch me pulling a donut out of the trash. But that didn't stop me. Because this disease is progressive. You know, I remember the moment that I decided I had to stop dieting. Because dieting meant gaining weight. Because if I could get control enough for 20 pounds, the spring back when I lost that control would be 30 pounds. If I could get that control together for 10 pounds, the spring back would be 30 pounds. So I couldn't afford to die anymore because I could not keep control. You know, we're going to read soon about the man of 30. And when I came in, I wanted to get a boyfriend. That was what I wanted. I wanted to get a husband. And I was able to stay him for six years. And when we talk about holding our breath underwater, I was a Navy SEAL. I was a Navy SEAL doing that. But once I picked up, I couldn't get control. I could never get more than eight, nine months. And I talked to people, and I asked them what's going on with them and you know, what, where they are in the steps and if they're abstinent. And I love hearing terms like, well, I'm mostly abstinent. I'm more or less abstinent. I can still get together a month or so, so I'm okay. I can still get back on track. And this paragraph is trying to break that delusion about if we get back on track, everything will be okay. If I can string together five, six days, you know, in the beginning it might be five, six months, then you're hoping five, six weeks, then you're hoping five, six days, and you're going to get to the point that you're going to hope to string together five or six hours. Because that is the delusion. All of us felt that sometimes we were gaining control, and we use that delusion to justify why we can keep going on as we are. So let me read that thing. You know, over any considerable time, we get worse, never better. And until we break this delusion, we're going to be living in a program of abstinence and relapse. Abstinence and relapse. Abstinence and relapse. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Katie, please. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, uh, were inevitably followed by still less control. And to me, this is saying that uh, the periods of sobriety get shorter and shorter. And that was my experience. I came into the rooms um, the first time when I was 14 years old, and I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. So I came back, you know, did my own research and development out there and came back when I was 21 and, you know, learned all about the program and just thought that um, 
you know, this knowledge that I had was going to keep me from from it getting that bad again if I picked up the food. Well, I picked up the sugar after six years, five years of not having, um, you know, mainline sugar, and <laughs> the periods of um, of abstinence came to a screeching halt where there was no periods of abstinence. Maybe a few days um, when I would call a sponsor and and commit some food for a few days and then, you know, but really the honesty was, was gone and the ability to control it was far worse than it had ever been when I was 21 and certainly than when I was 14. Um, so I can't imagine what it would be like today if I were to go back to the food. You know, at 27, I got it. I understood that it wasn't food and weight. I needed to be honest about what I was doing in every aspect of my life. And, you know, I don't live that way today. Um, I don't live in the grip of a progressive illness. I live a free woman today. But that doesn't mean that I get up and just eat whatever I feel like. I am still a compulsive overeater. And my uh, life has changed. I'm not the man I, or the woman that I was. Uh, 25 years ago when I put the food down. You know, I couldn't put five minutes of abstinence together. I had situated myself where I didn't have to go far to get my food. You know, I could, uh, all I had to do was open the walk-in because I worked in a restaurant and I was constantly around food. And today, I don't have to shy away from food. There's binge food sitting on my counter at this moment, because I'm married and have children who eat what they want and do not binge. And I don't have to, you know, hide it and lock it up. And that is nothing less than a miracle. Um, you know, I thought that I was going to be in the grips of this disease and that I just had to learn how to navigate so that I would not completely self-destruct. And that never happened. I could not just accept my obesity. I couldn't accept how I was because I was continuously getting worse. I wasn't just slightly fat. That wasn't the problem. It was the mental torture that was telling me constantly to do more, to be worse, and to uh, that it just continued to get to get progressive. Um, so, you know, I can't imagine where my life would be today if I were still in the disease, but I do know that it would get worse. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Good morning. This is Bella. Can I share? Yes. This is Amy. Yes, Bella and then Amy. We're on the third paragraph down on page 30. Go ahead, Bella. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for this wonderful meeting. Uh, wow, it's such a tricky word for me, the word control. It's completely two different words before the program and after the program. Before the program, well, I wouldn't want to accept and to admit that I, that, you know, I am a controller person. You know, sure, I have control of what's going on in my life, in my children's life, in my husband's life. I have the control and, 
you know, I have the good control, the positive control. If I want things should be this way, they for sure will be this way. And then I got upset and disappointed because most of the times things weren't going the way I wanted. And then I found myself upset and disappointed and blaming myself and Again, you know, I, I knew that the only, the only way, way to run away is the food because the food is the only thing that doesn't blame me and doesn't judge me and the food is the only thing that really loves me and I feel comfortable with this. Wow, but I really in myself, I didn't feel good even though I ate whatever I wanted and and I, I enjoyed the food, but I didn't enjoy the act of eating because I knew that I am not happy. It doesn't make me happy. And now, thank God that I am in the program, I, and it's a really a miracle for me. I understand what means control. No, I don't have control of nothing. I have only control of one thing to choose the right way, to choose and to believe that God is controlling my life. And I have to do the best what I can one day at a time. The, I have to try to do what I think that it's the best, but the outgoing of the thing, it's not in my hand. And if things will, will come the way I wanted and the way I thought, wow, thank God, God really helped me. And if things are going not the way I wanted and not the way I expected, wow, thank you, God. You know what you are doing. You know the right way and you know what is good for me. No, I don't have control. I have only the, the control of choosing and as of now, maybe I didn't choose the right thing, or maybe I chose the right thing, but the outcoming, it's not the way I wanted and I expected. And it's such a wonderful feeling that, yes, God trusts me, and he's giving me so many challenges, and if God is trusting me, I am trusting myself. And my, my job is not to find the, the outcoming and to solve problems. No, it's not in my hand and it's not in my control. I don't have to solve problems and to find the right way. Only God knows what is the right way. My control is to choose to trust God and you know, to, to, to say, okay, Bella, you are doing the best what you can, the best what you believe in what you are doing. The rest is not in, in your hand. Whatever other people are doing or thinking or expecting, it's their, it's their issues. It's nothing to do with me. I cannot control other people, what they are allowed to think, what they are allowed to say. It's not in my control. It's my choice to accept what other people are saying, to accept other people's idea, and it's in my hand not, not to believe in them. It's okay. And it's such a wonderful feeling that I know that 
the food is not anymore a solution for me. Yes, the food is the solution only when I am a physical hunger. Yes, if I know that now it's my time to eat breakfast, yes, so the solution is go to eat. But thank God that since I know that I am not running the show, I am not running the show, I, am, I don't have to prove to nobody my existence, my, my being here in this world. It's such a peaceful feeling. Yes, I thank God I, I, I am in control to go out for my own prison. Thank you very much, and with this I will pass. Thank you, Bella. Amy, please. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. It says here, we know that no real alcoholic ever ever recovers control and ever is in italics, which means they are trying to make a point here, ever. They are so sure that once we cross the line into that mental obsession, the greater aspect of our disease, remember it's a physical allergy, I put the substance in my body, it triggers me, but the greater aspect is the mental obsession. Why is that? Because my mind, as it talks about in step one, is warped into such an obsession for destructive eating that only an act of providence can remove it. If I am a true compulsive overeater, which I am, I have placed myself beyond human aid and I am without mental defense. It says in the big book, we are without mental defense against the first compulsive bite. Why is that? Because my mind is the main issue here. It's what's up in between my ears that will find some insane reason as soon as I get restless, irritable, and discontent that is going to say, it's okay, regardless of the consequences. And sometimes I won't even think about the consequences. I'll be five bites into the binge in front of the refrigerator going, how the hell did this happen? It is the mental obsession, and that's why only an act of providence a higher power, these 12 steps, the working of these 12 steps is the only thing that relieves me of it. I mean, talk about the paragraph before. It says it has to be smashed. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. They are trying to get across here, folks, that of our own, we cannot fight. I cannot fight this disease. I do not stand a chance. And I will never, ever regain control, that it will be progressive. And I'll get to a point where there's only two options, to keep eating into oblivion or to pick up these 12 steps and start working them like my life depends upon it. Then this program will mean something to me. You know, again, the end of step one, under the lash of compulsive overeating or alcoholism, we are driven to AA, and there we discover the fatal nature of our situation. Then and only then do we become as open-minded to conviction and as willing to listen as the dying can be. We stand ready to do anything which will lift the merciless obsession from us. That's what I need, freedom from this obsession that tells me it's okay to take that first bite, that insanity that drives me again and again and again to the food, to stick my hand on the hot flame and burn my hand to a crisp because for some insane reason it becomes okay in the moment. I need to be relieved of that obsession, and I will never get control of it. It will only get worse. Whether an accident one day, five days, 20 years, the disease stays the same. 
But this recovery, this beautiful, wonderful 12-step program has the power to relieve me of that obsession and allow me to be recovered from this, to be free, to be restored to sanity. But first thing first, I have to know from the tip of my head, through my heart, through my soul, to the bottom of my toes, that I am who I am. There is no more debate. I am a compulsive overeater. I have this merciless obsession and this physical allergy, and I need help outside of my help, outside of myself. Show me the way. Those who have recovered through the 12 steps and a higher power, show me the way. And with that, I'll pass. Hi, this is Hillary. I'd like to share. It's Irini. Hillary Irini. Rose. Go ahead, Hillary. Thank you. Hi, this is Hillary Recovered in Western New York. And um, it's such beautiful shares this morning. And I just wanted to say that for me, I know that um, without working these 12 steps and living in 10, 11, and 12, I would be where I was many years ago. And by the grace of God, I was guided to this program. Um, and I do indeed know that I am the real deal compulsive eater, that I have that mind, that, that spiritual malady that tells me, like it was just shared by Amy, that, you know, it's okay to have that first bite. And it's that obsession. It's, that's where it starts for me. It's right in my mind, and it tells me it's okay. You know, and I, for years and years and years, believed that. And I, like others have shared, also have done the the diet, the yo, uh, yo-yo dieting, uh, gain more weight than I lost and, and try to over-exercise to control. But everything I did was around trying to control a disease that I didn't know I had. And to come into these rooms and realize, yeah, I'm the real deal. I can stop compulsively eating, but I cannot stay stopped. Just like the alcoholic, the real deal alcoholic, he can stop drinking, but he cannot stay stopped. That's what makes me different from other people. And how other people eat, feed their bodies, is none of my business. I need to stay focused on these 12 steps and the truth about who I am. And the only way I came to understand who I am was through working these 12 steps with a recovered sponsor by truly getting it that, you know, this this is my life. This is what I do, but the trade-off for that work and that effort has been absolutely miraculous. You know, I used to judge others and I would, words in my vocabulary were like hate, um, uh, despise, the jealousy of anyone who was a normal weight. Um, I wouldn't even envy. It was way beyond envy. It was jealousy and then just, oh, the, the anger and the hate that I couldn't be like them and poor me, poor me. I try, I try diets, I give up foods, I do this, I do that, you know, and wow, I didn't know what I didn't know, and I came here, and by the grace of God, again, I learned through working these steps that, you know, I'm not like other people, I'm not, but in that discovery, I've learned about me and my selfish and self-centeredness and my self-pity, my fear, my anger, my resentments, how they were killing me, absolutely killing me. I was, you know, spiritually dead. I was physically huge and and doing all sorts of damage to my body. But again, I didn't know what I didn't know. And life was exhausting. 
the effort and thought and control I attempted to put into changing the person that I was was, well, was exhausting. And I know now that, you know, I can wake up in the morning and turn my day over to God. I can, you know, practice my 10th step throughout the day to keep me aligned with God, to keep me straight. And, you know, when things crop up that are old behaviors, I immediately do the five steps that the 10th step tells me to do. And then I am relieved again from any obsession or desire to step outside of living in 10, 11, and 12. And it's just a miracle that these first 100 who who wrote this book had such insight and, and awareness and that God so, you know, inspired them and, and the generosity of their time and their love to pass this on to us. You know, it's not an obligation. It doesn't feel like a responsibility, but it is a pleasure to help those who are still suffering to practice the 12th step so that I can stay in a recovered person today. And, you know, and I just think that once we're beyond human aid, and we get that, that the, our only answer, you know, is to work these 12 steps and to um, share what what we've learned. And until that, I mean, we can't give away what we haven't gotten. And once we get it, we can't keep it unless we give it away. And they just knew so much. And, and I'm just so grateful to them for sharing with us what their experience was. It wasn't theory. It wasn't guesswork. It wasn't maybe it was their experience. And then to know today that those of us who have worked these steps and are recovered people, it becomes our experience. And then we do what they did the best we can, you know, with God guiding us. Um, yeah, so I'm really grateful and grateful for my thank you. this meeting. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hillary. And thank you very much, Hillary. And Irene, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. It's amazing how all these words, small words and big words, have such meaning. All, all of us felt at times that we were regaining control, that word felt. Because I was my worst enemy, because I was the biggest problem, because my thinking got me into these rooms. Why? Because I based my whole life on that word, that one word, how I felt. How I felt instead of doing the right thing. This was the struggle within me that went on for so many years, riding that emotional roller coaster between self, being in my ego, being in that darkness, that's where the insanity lived. And now, doing the right thing as God would have me do is living in the spirit of the light. Today, I'm out of that darkness of self and no longer I'm governed by how I feel. You know, I do how I am governed to do as God would have me to do as long as I don't let go of his hand. And this is matured spirituality and how I'm living in the light of the Spirit, and how I'm being governed by unconditional love and peace. And I'm very grateful. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Yanini. Rose, please. Thank you, Leah. This is Rose, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. 
the sentence, um, the last two sentences, we are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. And those two sentences, as I was being brought through the steps as they're laid out here in the big book, um, that was my truth. And um, and it it wasn't until I, in inside of me that was had an acceptance. Um, I couldn't not have gone forward in in a recovery to let these steps in. And the other thing that um, strikes me as being uh, very significant is that it it's another 32 pages um, of more uh, information of this. Uh, weight and depth that's written here by Bill Wilson before I got to the third step, before I was able to uh, know how much this um, <clears throat> disease was killing me with these facts and these cases, especially in this chapter being cited, of the insanity of the disease while sober. That, that is the one that really speaks to me very loudly. These um, instances of men we're going to be reading about, while sober, the insanity was running. And the importance for myself um, that it, it's, again, another 32 pages of covering information at depth before I then was asked to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I wanted to focus in on this This statement. is Sharon. May I share? Sharon, yeah, hold on one second, if I could comment, please, and then I'll turn it to you. Um, all of us Thank felt you. at times, my pleasure, all of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Um, I wanted to focus on that for a minute here. Uh, all of us felt at times that we were regaining control. An attempt to control is an attempt to demonstrate uh, that this really isn't true for me. Uh, an attempt to control is an attempt to demonstrate that I'm not powerless over these binge foods, that I have a say over how much uh, I eat or how often I ate those binge foods, that I'm not bodily and mentally different, that I don't have this allergy of the body and this obsession of the mind, therefore I do not need to do these things that you're telling me to do from these pages. Um, you know, this is the defiance, this is the denial, the delay in the realization that I was real, a real compulsive overeater and the game was up. You know, all of us felt at times that we were regaining control. Um, controlled drinking doesn't work for alcoholics and neither does sobriety. And it's the same for me. Controlled uh, Binging or controlled eating didn't work for a real compulsive overeater like me, but neither did mere physical abstinence. It says all of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, 
where inevitably, what does inevitably mean? Inevitably means expected, unavoidably, as if not preventable, were inevitably followed by still less control. Why were those periods of abstinence usually brief? Because my problem is not compulsive overeating. I'm a very good compulsive overeater, an expert. My problem was living. My problem is living. All action is born in thought. See, other people don't get comfortable through food, right? They eat to nourish their body. They may enjoy the companionship, the conviviality, but other people don't get comfortable through food. A real compulsive overeater gets comfortable through food. It's not that they just like the taste. We look at it as a solution to life. That's why we're real compulsive overeaters. It does something uniquely special for us. That's why it's so difficult to not compulsively overeat. Because compulsively overeating was such a powerful answer. It was such a powerful answer. You know, that's why uh, it, it, it was a way to seek that ease and comfort. You know, I encourage you to flip to page 51 for a second. It says, leaving aside, the top of the page, three lines down, leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. Flip the page again to page 52. We were at middle of the page. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. I mean, this is a living problem. We have a living problem. When we are abstinent, we are restless, irritable, and discontent. So our minds look for a way to feel happier and more content. And we remember the pleasant way that we felt the last time we had a few bites of those binge foods and before the awful craving kicked in. And eventually, right, those memories become strong enough and they, we succumb and we take those first bite, bites and that sets off that intense physical craving, the allergy of the body, and we go on a spree and we come out remorseful and we come out of that binge uh, saying, you know, singing that song, I'm never going to do that again, I'm never going to do that again, the, the compulsive overeaters national anthem, I'll never do that again. And we go around the same vicious cycle around again and again and again and again. What is going to be the remedy? I could not stop compulsively overeating until I first stopped thinking. I finally gave up my way of thinking about life and its problems. And without waiting to evaluate their recommendations, I took the actions that are suggested through these pages of those people who got sober and recovered. And that's called surrender. And with that, I pass. Sharon, would you like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Thank you, Leah. This is Sharon. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Okay, yes. thank you. Um, I just wanted to uh, thank everyone on the line. I've been uh, listening, and I'm out of town right now, and so it's just so wonderful to know that um, you know, that doesn't mean that I take a vacation and I can just uh, do whatever I please. 
And what hit me too, and I have to hear these things over and over again because um, I was one of those that uh, you know knew how to diet, knew how to get all of that, but couldn't stay stopped. So we know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We're convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip, the grip of a progressive illness. We never uh, get better. We only get worse. And, um, you know, I, I'm just, uh, that's been my life. That's been my life in regards to this disease. And I am just so grateful today to know that the, the issue with me was in my mind and it was control. I was determined um, against all odds, against all reason, against all everything, that I truly was a compulsive overeater and that obsession in my mind was not going to change. I had to lay it down. I had to surrender it completely. And my problem, too, was a living problem. Uh, I didn't know how to live without the food. I didn't know how to um, deal with my depression. I didn't know how to deal with other people. Um, I didn't know how to control my emotional nature. And all of these things um, and fear, you know, when you're trying to control your life, at least for me, then what I'm doing is I am living a fear-driven life. And a fear-driven life leads to self-destruction. It did for me. And so I'm so grateful to hear these messages today. I'm so grateful to be at this um, conference that I'm at where we talked about on, like, on page 52 that uh, Leah shared about we have to change the readiness. We can't change it, but God will if we're willing and do the work. The same readiness to change our point of view. And my point of view today is I do not want to live and believe like I did, that, you know, I somehow, some way, I can control this or I can control that or I can convince that person to be different than the way they are. I can't even do that for myself. So I am just so grateful to be on the line today and thank you so much to all of you who shared and all of you who do so much service on this line. I pass. Thank you, Esty. Can I also share? Esty, go ahead. Thank you. Hi, good morning, everyone. It's Esty. And um, this, uh, uh, these lines really spoke to me about, you know, I don't know the exact wording, but having a short amount of um, refraining from the food and then feeling assured and thinking this is not going to happen to me. And in my in the past, in the past uh, eight years, I've always like based my success and and. And just like by telling myself, wow, I have 30 days, I have 60 days, I have 100 days. And and the more days I had, the more I felt like, okay, I have it, I have it. I'm, uh, Yeah, that's it. Like I'm in control now. My food is down and, and I'm okay. And thankfully, um, I'm learning, and especially from listening to the people sharing on these meetings, thank you, that it has nothing to do with putting down the food. Of course, if I don't put down the food, then I'll never get out of it. But it really has more to do in turning my will over um, and not doing what I want and um, you know, just realizing the obsession of my mind and the 
distorted thinking, not just around food, but around life in general. And the more I realize that, and the more I know that I, you know, feelings are real, but they're not facts, and I can't trust my feelings, and I can't act on them. And, you know, I can validate them, I feel them, and I definitely feel them better as the food is down. But um, I know that I I don't know. I know that my, my mental thinking is distorted, and thankfully, one day at a time, as as long as I'm turning my my will over, my life over, what I want over to, uh, to the care of God, um, you know, with His help, I can be abstinent today. And and it's not just the abstinence that's my goal. It's just it's it's a living with serenity that I I choose to make my goal. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Michelle, would you please read the next paragraph for us? Yes, this is Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, There has been brief recovery, followed always by still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this. It hasn't done so yet. Um, Well, this is just um, a a paragraph, too, that is building from the previous paragraph from which... um, so much beautiful things and insight has been shared today. And um, for me, it goes back to that um, that same line everybody's been starting with or sharing about is that this delusion um, that we are like other people has to be smashed. And um, once this idea is smashed, then I could and, and did surrender any more of these ideas of searching for more remedies, you know, trying every imaginable remedy. And, you know, that's what my dieting attempts were, too. They were about trying to regain control over the foods that once brought me ease and comfort, but now were leading me to that pitiful demoralization. And, um, you know, once I was, you know, if I get honest with myself and I am honest with myself, that's my truth. And, um, And the truth is that there was always worse relapse. And once I did concede to this truth, then then and only then would I stop wasting all that energy on trying to find the remedy. Um, and, you know, the remedy that I was relying on was self. And what I found from being led in this program is that the remedy is a spiritual remedy for a spiritual malady. So the solution is not about me focusing on regaining control because it tells me that there is there's not <clears throat> any kind of treatment that's going to help me regain that c- control. And um, it's interesting that he likens it to the impossibility of um, once I've lost my legs, they're never going to grow new ones. So if I can see that that's an impossible task, and, um, you know, then it's the same as my likelihood of finding a treatment to become... Um, like other people, which I am not. I need to embrace the fact of what is my truth about me today. And um, so if I know that growing a new set of legs is impossible, do I know that it's impossible for me to change um, and not be a compulsive overeater? 
know that there's no remedy. There is a spiritual remedy, but the um, remedies of my imagination, of myself, of my self-will, um, I'm powerless. And um, and the remedy is the spiritual remedy. The remedy is for me to surrender, and um, that somehow that delusion has to be smashed. And um, that's what the um, authors of this book is trying to impress upon me, um, that that delusion has to be smashed. I have to take step one. I have to know who I am and um, know that I there is no other way out except the spiritual treatment that are embraced in these 12 steps. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Michelle, and thank you to everyone who shared on the line this morning. We will revisit this paragraph tomorrow morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Sharon, are you available to read a vision for you? Thank you, Leah. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.